At Christ the King Church, one of the things we're committed to is serving our community. So what does it mean to serve our community? It means we're always looking for ways to meet practical needs outside our four walls. Because we care just as much about people who aren't part of our family of faith as those who are. In the Bible, James put it this way, If faith doesn't cause us to do something, that faith is dead. Serving the community is where our faith has a chance to make a difference in every corner of our county. Serving our community is something we can do as individuals, in groups, or as a whole church through community partnerships. CTK's growing list of community partners includes local organizations who are great at meeting specific needs for specific groups of people. We're here to get behind our partners' efforts, learn from them, share resources with them, and volunteer alongside them to meet tangible needs right here in Whatcom County. What happens when we do that? Well, we become more connected with the world God loves. We get a realistic view of local needs. We become better neighbors as we fulfill our calling to be not just a church, but a true community church. Good morning, Christ the King. If I haven't met you before, my name's Wendy, and I am the community outreach pastor here at Christ the King, and that video fires me up every time I see it. I love that. I want that to be true of us. I think it already is to some extent. Uh, last week, I came and I shared with you a little bit about how God never asks us to do something that isn't good for us. So when he asks us to serve, it's probably because he knows there are ways we cannot grow up spiritually, and there are ways we cannot be like Jesus until we serve like he serves. But today I wanna to remind you it's much bigger than you. God's command to serve is always about building his kingdom and bringing his will here on earth as it is in heaven, amen? There's something bigger going on here. It turns out that the church, you, me, us, we are God's plan to restore this broken world. We are his plan for transforming the lives of people around us. In fact, I would say it this way. God has a lot of love and a lot of goodness and a lot of power to unleash on this world and he needs us as the conduits to get that out. And so it is all about our willingness and our giving him access to do that. One group of people that does that so very well is one of our partners out in Linden <clears throat> in Getty Refuge Ministries. They provide a safe house and a whole life restoration program for women who are escaping prostitution. And the whole thing is funded by Christian individuals, Christian businesses, and Christian churches. That's God getting busy doing the right stuff. Three things I want you to know. I was out there yesterday for their open house, and I came back with three things I think matter for us as a church. First thing, 90% of the women who go through their program make it to a new life and a fresh start. 90%. That's huge. That's unheard of. I also need to let you know that they turn away over 60 women every year for lack of space that want a way out. But God's on the move. And last summer, we were able to be part of a construction project that doubled their capacity. <clears throat> they literally have room for twice as many women now, and it's already full. So we're going to continue to serve with them and serve them as an organization, starting with our next project, which is Saturday, July 9th from 10 to 1. We're going to get out there and do some yard work and landscaping around that new facility. So if you're available, will you please head out to the connection point and sign up? If you need more information, it's in your program. I'd also like to welcome one of our other community partners uh, who you may have walked by on the way in. They're here as extra support for today's tough, taboo topic of domestic violence. 
If you're not familiar with DVSAS, which stands for Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Services, they are the ones who provide a whole range of services that create the safety net for people in Whatcom County who have to live through domestic violence or sexual assault. They're going to be in the Commons again after service, and we are so glad they're here, and we're also really thankful for what they do in our community. So as we get ready for Grant to come, would you turn your attention to the side screens? Thanks. It's too awkward. I don't even know what I believe about it. I don't even know where I stand on the issue. I'm too scared to talk about it. I just don't want to go there. It's too painful. Jesus had the courage to talk about this stuff. Maybe we can too. Well, good morning. Summertime, early service. It's good to see you guys. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Last weekend, talking about politics, I felt like uh, I felt like a little kid with a stick whacking a hornet's nest. This week, with the top topic we're going to talk about, I feel like a little kid with a pocket knife poking a bear. And uh, if this morning goes anything like last night did, uh, I just need you guys to be comfortable with the silence that's going to settle in over top of us as we walk through this together. There's no easier, light way to tackle this topic, so we're just going to dive right in. Maybe you've heard this statement before. If I knew then what I know now, and so many of us get caught in that, boy, if we just had that knowledge, life would be a little bit different for us. And I'm hoping by the end of this time today that you'll all be able to say together, well, I do know now. So I refuse to turn a blind eye to a tough issue, the tough issue of domestic violence. This one is so easy for us just to push off and say this is not our problem. We read our newspapers where it, it turns out just in the last couple of weeks, uh, a, a group of religious government officials in Pakistan actually made it law and legal for a husband to lightly beat his wife in order to bring her into compliance. And we hear that and we go... But that's on the other side of the world. That doesn't have anything to do with us. And so we just brush it off and step past it. Did you know that on average, 24 people a minute, 24 people a minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner right here in the United States. That's more than 12 million men and women over the course of a year. And we hear that when you go, but granted, it's a big country, and that doesn't happen here. That happens in places like Los Angeles or Philadelphia or Detroit, but it most certainly doesn't happen right here. Did you know nearly three in 10 women, three in 10 women, almost 30%, one in 10 men in the United States have experienced rape, physical violence, or stalking by a partner? And we hear that and go, yeah, but it's a big country, Grant. That's not here. That's not my world. It's not my reality so that it doesn't hit me. It doesn't hit home. Did you know that Whatcom County law enforcement handles more than 3,000 domestic violence calls a year? More than 3,000. You do the math, 365 days a year. That's almost 10 calls a day. That's right here in our home, in our backyard, on our streets. If you follow the Whatcom, the, the Twitter feed that, 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 that processes law enforcement calls, you can watch it. In fact, if you were looking at it this morning, there's already been multiple calls. And we're not even to 10 o'clock in the morning yet. We could choose to ignore it. But the reality is, is the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we don't get to ignore this unbelievably difficult topic. 
Even though we're so unbelievably tempted to just dismiss it with a simple, hey, it doesn't affect me and it doesn't affect anybody that I know, so it's not my problem. I'm out. I'm going to tell you something. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we never get to default out of helping people because people matter to God. We don't get to turn a blind eye. We don't get to pretend it's not our issue. We have to step in. We don't get to step around. May God help us to be the kind of people that don't just get stuck in our own little worlds when other people are hurting and suffering. This past year, we actually brought in the people, the wonderful volunteers from, from DV SAS, Domestic Violence Sexual Assault Services, to train our staff. Here's a picture of our training. So we were actually sitting together, walking through this issue, and they came. I learned so much. And sitting in that room that day, I felt a call to do whatever I could do. As far as it depended on me, I knew I needed to do something. And the one thing I couldn't do was just sit quiet about the issue. We've always dreamed that Christ the King would be a place of hope and sanctuary for those that were hurting. We want this church to be a refuge, a place of hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. So we're going to dive in with both feet. And I just want to say on the front end, I'm so unbelievably thankful for a courageous church that isn't afraid to get their hands dirty with tough issues. The issue of domestic violence, it lives in the shadows. But believe it or not, God speaks about it very, very bluntly. I'm going to read two verses that I, I promise you are going to be difficult for you to hear. The Bible says from Proverbs, we're building this series on the wisdom we learned in Proverbs. The Bible says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. That's Proverbs 10, 11. It conceals violence. It pushes it back into the shadow so that nobody can really see. The Bible also says, the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. Those are strong words. Strong words about an issue that, that likes to live in the shadows. But so today, even though it may be unbelievably uncomfortable, we're going to drag this issue kicking and screaming out into the light. We're going to learn about it, though it may be unbelievably tough. We're going to learn God's heart for those who are caught in the cycle of it. We're going to see God's design to combat it. And we're going to hear God's call for all of us as the people of God to destroy it. Now, it'd be helpful to make sure we can all agree on what it is. So let's work with the working definition today, okay? Domestic violence is this. It's a systematic pattern of behavior. Let's just stop there for a second, okay? A systematic pattern of behavior. And let me address this right from the get-go, all right? We all have regrettable moments in our relationships. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A regrettable moment when we lose our temper, we use reckless words, we escalate instead of stepping back, we step in instead of stepping aside, we just get caught up in ourselves, our temper kicks in, and we, and we hurt each other. And I will say, those moments are wrong. There's no excuses. And when they happen, we should ask for forgiveness from God, and we should go to the person that we hurt with a sincere heart, and then we need to allow God to work in our hearts so that we change. We've got to change. When it doesn't change and it continues to happen again and again and again, there's a word for that. It's a pattern. So we all have moments of weakness, which we can acknowledge, but this is a pattern. It happens again and again, and there's a purpose to the pattern. Okay? It's a systematic pattern of behavior used to establish power and control of another person, usually within an intimate context. This pattern can be established in every relational construct. I asked you guys to talk to me this past week, and you did. And I heard stories from people within our own church. 
of different levels of abuse and hurt from husband to wife, from wife to husband. This is not a gender neutral issue. It goes both ways. Let's not fool ourselves. I got letters from adult kids who grew up as children watching mom and dad just go at it and how they can't get those voices or those sounds out of their head. I had letters from people asking questions. Grant, what do you do as a husband when you come home and your 14-year-old daughter is regularly beating her mother? What do you do? So it's within every context of relational. It can include elderly people. I mean, it doesn't matter. It seems to transcend all of the categories. So that's the definition we're going to work with, but I'm going to boil it down for you. Domestic violence makes one person in a relationship small over and over and over and over again until there's very little left of their soul. It happens repeatedly. So I included this in your outline. This is the cycle of violence, okay? Domestic violence is not made up of isolated incidents. It's a pattern of power and control that makes it scary because it starts with a tension-building stage down here at the bottom. That's where you're walking on eggshells. That's where you know if you say the wrong thing, sometimes illogically, if you set a spark, that fuse is going to flare, and, and eventually it's going to build into the explosive stage. And when it goes off, it really goes off. It's completely and totally out of control. But here's what gets really confusing. It's often followed by a reconciliation stage. That's where you hear the, that's where you hear the statements, I'll never do that again. That'll never happen again, I promise, but it does happen again, and it often happens in different ways. In your outline, I laid out the spectrum of domestic violence, and I want to remind you again, I am so cognizant of the fact that this is not just husband to wife. That's the picture we often get. It can go in multiple different directions. One of the categories, physical abuse. Now, I'm going to just say some words out loud here, and I know that these are going to be very, very painful, but I'm just going to ask you to walk with me through them. It's pushing someone down. It's refusing to let them up. It's refusing to let somebody leave. It's breaking or damaging objects. It's using your physical size to intimidate. It's slapping. It's hitting. It's punching. And it has a name. It's physical abuse. And it's sinfully and morally wrong. Another category is emotional abuse. We know this one can go both directions, don't we? It's belittling comments. It's blaming the victim for abuse. You made me so angry, that's why this happened. It's stalking, isolation, economic control. It's making someone believe they're losing their mind. It's using erratic behavior as a means of control, and it has a name. It's emotional abuse, and it's sinfully and morally wrong. Here's another tough one. It's sexual abuse. That's any form of sexual assault. It's any sexual activity without consent. It's harassing a person into performing in a way that they would never, ever participate in without that pressure. And sometimes it's the reverse. It's withholding affection for the sake of punishment. It's got a name. It's sexual abuse, and it's morally and sinfully wrong. When the girls from DV SAS came and shared that with us, they shared these three but I had another one rolling in the back of my head because it's 27 years as a pastor, I've seen it repeatedly. And it breaks my heart every time I talk about it because the goal of actually following Jesus, being spiritual, 
One of the goals is to be more holy and more righteous. But unfortunately, some people use that banner of spirituality as a weapon. And they use it as pressure. So I'm going to add a fourth category. It's an oxymoron. The words don't go together. But we're going to say it out loud anyway. It's spiritual abuse. It's when you use the Bible as a weapon. It's when you're forcing compliance based on the misuse of out-of-context Scripture. And what's what's the most popular one? We all know it, right? Submit. That's the word. You're supposed to submit to me. I'm the head of this household. That's the way God wants it. Let me just hit this one head on. I'm going to do my absolute best not to get so angry in my soul that I've got to go and repent to Jesus for it, okay? But let me just hit this one head on. If you are using the submission verses as a way to control your spouse, you are sinning and God will judge you and hold you accountable. Okay? Using those verses as a justification for violence or control, that is a travesty of the greatest proportion. And it breaks God's heart. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it should break your heart too. So before you go quoting submission verses, you need to know something. Jesus submitted to the heart of the Father. Because he knew his father loved him. He knew his father loved him. And Jesus calls us to submit to him. And what's the response every single time we do? It's grace and love. That is a clue, my friends. If there's no grace and love, it's not God and it's not godly. Let me say that again. If there's no grace or love, it's not God and it's not godly. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Sometimes the best way to look at a really tough issue is to look at the mirror image. And I'm so glad that God gave us a picture of a beautiful, beautiful image in the picture of marriage. So let's go there for just a second. Listen to the Bible painted picture of marriage as God designed it, okay? It's supposed to be a place of mutual submission. Guys, I know it's going to feel like I'm picking on you, but here's the problem, okay? I never apologize for what the Word of God says, and most of this is directed towards the husband's. And I'm not going to sidestep that. I'm just going to lay it at your feet and submit it to you and say, this is something you need to struggle with. Okay? Husbands, husbands who want to exert power and control, they often quote that verse, right? Wives submit to their husbands. That's the way that it's supposed to be. And they forget that there's a verse that comes before that one. There's a verse that comes before that one, and it says this, submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how I live out my reverence before Jesus when I submit alongside of my partner. So it means this, submit to God and then to each other. But husband, you go first. You get on your knees before the cross. You follow God's plan for you and the precious daughter that he gave to you as a gift. And you submit by serving each other in the same way Jesus, the king of the universe, with all power and control, served you. With love, sacrifice, and humility. I can never get the picture out of my mind. The king of the universe on his feet, washing the feet of his creation. That's love. Marriage is not about power and control. It's about serving each other. Laurel and I have been in a serving contest for 27 years. And she wins every single time because she's just a better human being than I am. That's just the bottom line. If you're not serving, you're not submitting. 
to God. Let's keep going. Marriage as God designed it is supposed to be a place of love and sacrifice and unity and respect and honor. I'm going to take a whole lot of verses and put them together here. Ephesians 5 says this. Guys, it's coming to you again. Husbands, love your wives. Just love your wife. Love them fully with holiness, with passion. It goes on. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Gentlemen, Jesus died for the church. He died for the church. He died to his own will, laid aside his power for the salvation of his bride. And God calls us to do exactly the same. It says, and gave himself up for her. He gave up his rank, his home, his title, his entitlement. He gave up all of that just to show his precious bride how precious she was to him. And husbands were called to lovingly do the same. I'm going to just, let's just correct an understanding here. This is not about relinquishing leadership. It's about relinquishing the need to be in control. How do you do that? You let Jesus exert control. Control over your mouth, control over your heart, control over your body. You let him have full and complete control. Verse 31 says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I mean, this is the beautiful goal. One flesh, one person, united together as one flesh. Impossible to tell where one of you ends and the other one starts. I was in a meeting the other night. It was at our advisory council. And there's a husband and wife, Dave and Sue, and they're sitting there together, and I'm just giggling because they keep finishing each other's sentences. And I said, I said, guys, thank you. Thank you for a beautiful picture of what it's supposed to look like. Okay, this is not a slight on singleness, okay? It's not a slight on singleness. I'll remind you, don't let that be an issue. Jesus was single, Paul was single, they did just fine, Okay? Date and fall in love with Jesus. He's the perfect partner, okay? Stay there. The two will become one flesh. Well, you would think to yourself, it would be unimaginable for you to hurt or threaten yourself because you're one. Stay with that mindset. The two of you are one. It would be unthinkable for you to hurt yourself in any way. Verse 33, however, each one of us must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There it is. It goes both directions. Love and respect flowing both ways, empowered by God's Holy Spirit to serve and cherish and protect. Did you notice it? It flows both directions. He's speaking to husbands and wives. He's speaking inside of any relational context and saying, this is to be a place of honor and love and sacrifice and respect. Let's keep going. Marriage, as God designed it, is to be a place of gentleness. Guys, here it comes again. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. I will tell you something about Laurel Lynette Fishbook. My wife is not weak. She is tough. She's independent. She's the toughest person I've ever met. I watched her give birth to our children. I could not do that. So much respect for her. She could do just fine on her own. But God still calls me over and over and over again to be gentle. Not because my wife is weak, but because she's precious. She's precious to me. 
So God keeps saying, gentle words, gentle actions, a gentle spirit. Marriage as God designed it is to be a place of safety. The covenant of marriage, it just assumes love, protection, and sacrifice. It's in there all the way through. So I'm going to say this, your home should be a haven, a soft place to land where love, protection, and sacrifice are the norm, not the exception. It should be a place of safety, not a place where your reckless words slice and dice. And, and you know, I have noticed something. Has anybody else noticed that both genders have issues with their tongue? So nobody gets to take a pass on this one. It's an issue for both, and Proverbs keeps calling us to get our words under control because that's where it always seems to start. What was that proverb again? I think I heard it at least four or five times in the last series. Where words are many, sin is not absent. Amen. All by myself. I love God's plan. When it's done under God's direction, it's a beautiful thing. I love the picture of marriage. I went to a celebration the other night. Ron and Kathy Moreno uh, were celebrating 30 years together. And they had just a small gathering of friends. And they did a tally of all the people that were in the room. There were 687 years of marriage represented in that room. It was a beautiful thing to see. And it would be nice if we could just stay on the beautiful side. But that's not the reality that we live in. Because I see people every single day who are in unsafe relationships. I will never forget this young lady as long as I live. So as a pastor here at Christ the King, I'm on the, uh, what's known as the pastor on call rotation, which means every number of weeks I carry an emergency phone with me in case somebody has a life or death emergency. I want to remind you, if you ever have to call that number, it needs to be a life or death emergency. If your dog is lost, I will pray for your dog, but I'm not coming to help you look for him in the middle of the night. Just saying, okay, that's not life or death, just so we're clear. But what it also means is if you're carrying the on-call phone, it also means you're available for what we call walk-ins, people that just walk in the door that need help and love. I got called to the commons years ago, and a young lady sat across from me in a chair, and I had seen it too many times, makeup-covered bruises, shaking hands, tears, didn't know where to go. And she kept saying the same thing, but I made a promise, but I made a promise. I made a covenant, and I can't break it. What was interesting was her husband kept reminding her of that, but you made a promise, but you made a promise. There's a word for that, my friends. It's called spiritual abuse. And I remember reaching across and grabbing her by the hand. And the last time she said, I don't want to be the one to break the covenant. And I said, the covenant's already broken. The second someone raises their hand to you, the covenant's already broken. Broken by the person who raised the hand. So if anyone ever tells you that it's God's plan for you just to stay in a relationship and take it, the God who wrote the covenant that we just finished talking about here that created marriage as a place of safety, he would stand up and say, that's not right. You are worthy to be protected. You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of respect. 
you didn't break the covenant. It was broken for you. This issue is personal for our team here because we actually had a person on our own CTK staff team who this issue touched very deeply. And she actually had the courage to write her story, and I'd like to read it to you so that you know why this is so unbelievably personal for all of us here. She writes, I'd been in a difficult marriage for almost three years. We had a daughter, but so many little things were off. I felt put down and isolated most of the time. I was always on eggshells, making sure everything was the best for my husband, but losing much of myself in the process. Things continued to escalate. Tensions were building. I was losing hope that the relationship would ever find stable ground. Then I found out he had another relationship on the side, and we separated. This only escalated the manipulation, the intimidation, and the lies snowballed, and my world flipped upside down. One week in particular, about four months after we separated, it was constant. Angry, demanding calls and texts, even showing up at my house to badger me into agreeing to his terms. I was spent emotionally, and I broke down at work. A co-worker pulled me aside and asked me what was going on. In my emotional state, I couldn't really articulate all that was going on, and I wouldn't probably have labeled it what I was experiencing as domestic violence. My co-worker listened and then encouraged me to go to DV SAS. I didn't want to, because I didn't see... I didn't want to see myself through that lens and come to terms with what was really happening. But I went the next week. D.B. Sass made the experience easy and comforting in little ways like offering quarters for the parking meter. In big ways like having a second person play with my daughter so she didn't have to hear all the details. My advocate spent a long time going over details of my story with me. There were many things going on and I didn't know that were considered abuse. I only knew that I felt controlled and scared and that my daughter and I were no longer safe. Once I decided I need to take action to protect both of us, the advocate filed the necessary paperwork for me to obtain a restraining order and volunteered to go with me to my court hearing. They also referred me to another agency for free legal advice they helped turn one of the worst seasons of my life around and got me from a frozen place onto a path moving forward. I'm so thankful for them and for the coworker who took a chance to ask and knew where to send me for help. It landed right here. I'm so proud of my courageous sister. I mean, she's so brave to tell her story, and God's redeeming that part of her story because now she wants to help. I think that's amazing. You know who else I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a coworker who chose not to turn a blind eye to what was going on. I'm thankful for a godly woman who stepped alongside of a friend and asked a simple question, how can I help? How can I help? She refused to look the other way because the Bible speaks to us about the sin of omission, doesn't it? James 4, 17. To him who knows the good they ought to do and they don't do it, to him that's sin. So we don't get to turn a blind eye. So how do we keep from turning a blind eye to the problem? Let me just give you some suggestions as we get ready to wrap up. Number one, just ask the question, how can I help? How can I help? I'm going to tell you something. You can't rescue them. You can't make them leave. You just need to ask the question, how can I help? And then build a bridge of support because what they need more than anything in that moment is just a friend who believes in them. They need someone that will stand alongside of them. 
What else can you do? Secondly, you can be a bridge of non-judgmental relational support. Don't judge them. Don't condemn them. You haven't had to walk in their shoes. You haven't had to make those kinds of decisions. So don't judge them. Don't put pressure on them. Don't go and confront the abuser. That's not going to help anybody. You'd think common sense would lay that out, but a lot of people get, they just, I'm going to go and take care of this myself. It doesn't help. Don't put pressure on them. Why? Because for years, they've had power and control taken away from them, and now's their opportunity to actually exert just a little bit of power and a little control as they take back the direction of their life and bring it fully and completely under God's lordship. She's like, Grant, I don't, what do I do? Just be there. Your presence means so much. Just be there. One way you can be there is to connect them with people who can help. So we actually put the DV SAS number in your program. Maybe you don't need it, but you might know somebody who does. I say this all the time to my pastors. Look, we are just professional pastors. We're not psychologists. We're not psychotherapists. That's not who we are. So I'm going to say this to all of us. When you get involved and you actually decide not to turn a blind eye, but to actually help, you don't need to be the end all and be all. So I say this to my team all the time. When you believe you are above your pay grade and you don't know what else to do, when in doubt, you refer and connect. You refer them to somebody who can help and you make sure that they get connected. Okay, and finally, always remember that God is a God who shelters, helps, heals, restores, and brings hope. I'm crazy enough to believe that God can always, he, he, under His power, He can put pieces back together again. Now, not all situations should be put back together. We'll leave that to God's sovereignty. But I believe God can heal and restore so I remind people all the time, we are all called to forgive. We're all called to forgive. But please make sure you understand this. Forgiving is not forgetting. It doesn't come with a side of amnesia. It doesn't work that way. Forgiving doesn't assume that there should be any contact between you and the person who hurt you. That needs to be dealt with with wisdom and counsel and strength and sometimes really good solid boundaries. Forgiving is not just letting go of the past and calling it good. I mean, restoration can take years, and I'll say this too. You can only be restored to somebody who actually wants to go through the process of restoration. And the process of restoration is long and arduous because you have to rebuild trust over a long, 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 period of time to prove that what you say is real. The Bible says this, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So some people would say, the cycle's too hard to break. Not for God, it's not. Some people would say, there's no way out. God's strong enough to create a way out. Some people would say, it's too hard to believe that I'm actually a worthy child of the Most High God, that I'm worthy of honor, love, and respect. That's not too hard for God. He can reinstill the belief. In fact, I'll be his spokesman for just a second. 
If you are a victim today, here's what I want you to know. You are a dearly loved child of the Most High God. He loves you, respects you, went to the cross so that you could have life and have it to the full. He knows everything about your situation, and he desperately wants you to be safe. Some people are thinking, well, there's absolutely no way as an abuser that I could ever be forgiven of all of the pain that I've caused. And I will say this to you, not even that is too impossible for God. If you will accept responsibility, if you will own your actions and live with the consequences no matter what that costs you, if you will sincerely confess, repent, and then go about whatever it takes to rebuild hope and trust, I believe God can put the pieces back together. And I'll tell you what, I'm looking over this congregation right now and I see people in this room who are a testimony to God's amazing grace even in this. So as we get ready to close, if domestic violence has never touched you or someone that you love, you should be thankful. You should thank God and at the same time, you should be informed be watchful, be engaged, be kind, and if need be, be strong. After the service, there's a group of people right out there in the middle of the commons. And it's so easy for us just to sidestep, but I would say this, as the people of God, we need to be informed. And if you need to stop by the table to grab a brochure, to grab one of those numbers, or to grab whatever it is, to have maybe have a, a question answered, that's one way that we show that we care. If you're here today as a victim, we love you. We love you. We want to help. We want to empower you to make tough decisions. We want to be your safe place. We want you to know you didn't break the covenant, your abuser did. And we've got people who can help. And maybe you're not ready to be helped today. I understand this can be a process. But I want you to know after the service, a group of us are going to stand up here across the front. And we'd love to pray with you. Okay? Nobody's going to make you do anything. And they're going to be praying for all different kinds of people, dealing with all different kinds of stuff. So don't you worry about what other people think. But if you'd like someone to pray with you because you are in one of these situations, we'd love to pray. If you'd like to take another step, we actually have advocates here today from DV SAS who at the same time will promise nobody's going to make you do anything. But we want you to know there's help here. So if you need that kind of prayer, just ask a prayer team person or a pastor and we will be there. We also have another opportunity. We have a good friend of our church. Her name's Carolyn Merriman. Carolyn, Carolyn is an amazing counselor. She teaches a class called Invaded Lives, and we strategically put it right after this weekend because we want to help. Maybe you need to go to this. Maybe you have firsthand experience in this. Maybe this is you watching somebody go through it, but Invaded Lives is an amazing, amazing place, a safe place to walk through. If you're here today and you're someone who has actually perpetrated domestic violence in your home, we love you too. And we want to help. Admitting 
that this is an issue is a huge step. But we would be honored to walk with you as you confess, repent, seek God's help, and do whatever it takes to make it right. I want to thank all of you as a church for being courageous enough to go here with me. I know none of you really thought, well, that's a great way to kick off a beautiful sunny morning in Whatcom County. Let's just go and hear about that. But I love the fact that we're not afraid to dive in. So for just a second, if you'll indulge me, uh, I'd love to talk to the person on the other side of that camera for just a second. See, this is what happens. We do these really, really tough weekends, and then we see a spike in the number of views that we have on our website because some people were just too afraid to come today. Or it gets forwarded on and the ripples just go out and out and out and out and out. So I'd love to talk to the person just for a second on the other side of the camera because maybe you have a friend who sent you this message or maybe you heard about it and you just clicked and you're watching and I don't know. Maybe you're in your living room or maybe you're hiding in your closet because you didn't know where else to watch. But I want you to hear this. You matter. You matter to this church and you matter to the God that we serve. And if we can help you in any way, call us. Because we believe that right now, wherever you are, the God of heaven is sitting beside you, wrapping you in his love in his safety, in his protection. And he just wants you to know you have a family that cares. So whatever God calls you to do, we are with you and we are for you. And we hope you'll reach out. Church family, would you do me a big favor? Would you stand with me right now? I kept thinking, how in the world do you bring one of these services to conclusion? An offering doesn't seem right. Let's just sing another song. No. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And then I'm just going to dismiss you. And you can go. And maybe you want to shake hands with a few people as you're going out. That'd be cool. If you'd like prayer in any way today, the prayer team's going to be standing up here across the front. We'd love to touch base with you. It doesn't have to be just about this. It could be anything. Because we love to pray around here. We really do. And so if you'd like to participate in that, you can. But I just want to encourage you, let's not just turn a blind eye. So would you pray with me as we close today? Father God, I thank you for a church that's not afraid to go there. And I pray that they would know, Lord, how proud you are of them for the simple fact that they care. Lord, I pray for every person in the room today, every heart Regardless of whether they have first-hand experience with this or they've never dealt with it before, Father, I pray that they would know that there's a God of heaven who looks at them and sees them worthy of love, respect, and honor. So, Father, may we all walk from here knowing that there is a God in heaven who loves and cares for us and that His love endures forever. So, Lord, would you give us all courage, courage to speak up, Spirit, or courage to own up, and courage to step up. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said.